Praise God. You know, I'm going to get stuck straight into it, but um, I don't know about you. I got saved in August 1986. I was a 21-year-old. I had the mullet haircut. This is what happens when you grow hair long. I used to have my hair used to be down to here. We shaved on the side, peroxide through the top. I had the big gold earrings. I was a bodybuilder. It's kind of shifted these days, you know what I'm saying? Uh, where once was a six-pack, now is a keg, you know, and that sort of stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and it was really cool. I got saved at a church called Paradise Assemblies of God. And uh, we used to have a lot of guest ministers. And listen, I don't say to be little, but it was a lot of ministers. And I don't know whether anybody's ever heard people say this. But the ministers, a lot of them would get up and say, come to Jesus and all your problems will disappear. Has anybody ever heard that? No. Are you, you're allowed to talk back to me, you know. Even if it's a no, you can still say no. You don't, you know. Come on, folks. I grew up with people saying, come to Jesus, all your problems will disappear. That is a nice thought, but it is a lie. I got to tell you, because when I came to Jesus, problems appeared. <laughs> problems appeared. People that didn't have a hassle with me now had a hassle with me. You know, before I used to, uh, if I went out with my mates and I said, listen, I'm not drinking tonight, they'd go, respect, man, respect. When I became a Christian, I said, I'm not drinking. They went, oh, come on. And gave me a hard time. Who knows what I'm talking about here? My brothers figured I became the human punching bag the moment I gave my life to Christ. My dad was upset because I stopped drinking and now the fridge had no beer. You know, uh, people at the workplace, I was born again while I was working in a factory. I was a MIG welder by trade. And uh, the moment they found out I was a Christian, I mean, it just went crazy. You know what I'm saying? And so things just begin to break out. Family gave me opposition. Friends gave me opposition. A whole bunch of different things went on. And what I realized is, you know, when you look through Scripture, Jesus never actually promised storm-free. But he did say, if you follow me, I'll make it storm-proof. Amen? Amen. Come on, folks. There is no perfect place. Don't believe the false advertising about Queensland. Perfect one day, better the next. The weather sucks in Queensland sometimes, amen. It rains all day, and that's only good if you're a duck. Come on, how many people know storms come? But storms pass. But the good news is Jesus is always in the storm, amen. Praise God. And so today, really simply, I want to give you just a simple message about storm-proofing, about the fact that storms are going to come, but God wants to make your life storm-proof, not storm-free. Amen? Come on, folks, so that when the storm comes. Now, listen, you might say, well, I've never been in a storm. Just wait. Boy, you tough crowd, man. Seriously, no. Go and they go. Oh no, no, please, please. Hey, it just happens, right? So I'm going to read from the Book of Acts, Acts chapter 27. I'm going to do a lot of reading, but I'm going to give you the intro beforehand. This is a story about Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle. He's the guy. He went out with the first. He was the first James Bond 007. He had a license to kill. Amen. And he went out to kill Christians. And on the way of killing Christians, he got knocked off his donkey. Bush, on the road to Damascus, and Jesus said, yo, why are you persecuting me, right? Are you okay? Are we allowed to talk like this? Man, it's like the quiet service. It's the 3.30. Maybe you had a late lunch, and you're about to doze off. No one praying for me right now with your eyes closed, okay? You in Hastings as well. I'm talking about you guys too. But uh, the thing is, this is like, he, he, he gets knocked off his horse, and then he has this incredible conversion, and then he goes off and begins to preach the gospel. He's a radical man. I mean, his preaching caused chaos. It either caused riots or revivals. You know, he'd preach, and he'd, he'd get lowered through a hole in the wall, man. Sometimes he'd pre me preach messages so long that men would fall out of windows and drop dead. This poor guy, Eutychus, man, he escaped Paul's message. It must have been the thousand keys to revival, and he dropped dead at point 755. And he figured he's made it, he's escaped, he's now in glory, but Paul went down, raised him from the dead, and said, I haven't finished yet. 
I always tell preachers, learn from that because we're supposed to preach about eternity, not for eternity. Amen? Praise God. But the thing is, so, and then he does all this radical stuff and he's in jail, he gets beaten, he gets dragged out of city, stoned to death, the whole works. Wherever he went, like there was some crazy stuff that went on, whether it was good or bad, stuff went on. And he'd make appeals to higher courts. And one day he's making an appeal and he makes an appeal to Caesar. And the king says, I was going to let you go, but because you've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar ye shall go. Amen. And now he's on his journey to Rome and we pick it up in Acts chapter 27. And it says this, verse 13. I'm going to do a fair bit of reading. Please stay focused. It's, it's, it's a bit of reading, okay? When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they'd obtained what they wanted. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught up by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Corda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed, a rope, passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Surtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Tickle, what a twit. With their own hands, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found that it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we will be dashed against the rocks, they dropped the four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the rope that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he had said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. And when they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in a sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to the land. The rest were to get there on the planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached the land in safety. Thus endeth the reading. Amen. Praise God. You know, I want to talk to you about this passage of Scripture because I love the way the Bible paints pictures. And there's so much in this. But how many people know, just like 
happened here, life can be like this. One minute you're smooth sailing, the next minute a storm comes. It says suddenly a northeaster blows. How many people know that? One minute you're having a great day and then you get a phone call and it's bad news. Come on, one moment everything's going well financially and then you get called in the office and you lose your job. A bill comes in. A doctor, you go and visit a doctor because you had a little bit of a niche and you find out it's something that you weren't expecting. Does this make sense? Maybe something tragic happens in the family. I don't know about you, but I've found a lot of times in life the storm comes suddenly. One minute you're in a good place, next minute it's like, what just happened? Does that make sense? Come on, man, you've got a situation going on in your life. This is what happens. And then, see, we see this whole picture here, and I want to give you a few points and tips on what goes on when it comes to the storm. First point is real simple. God often comes, and he reassures you, but he doesn't always rescue you. Number one thing here is God will reassure you, but he doesn't always rescue you, right? Look, I mean, look at the story here. It says this, right? It says, it says, Paul is sitting on this boat, right? They haven't seen sun, moon, and stars for 14 days, man. I mean, even the sailors are beginning to panic. How many people know when sailors panic, it's a good time to panic? Come on, man. I, I fly a lot, right? Past Zam, past uh, uh, Bruce and Helen, they fly a lot, right? You get on planes, sometimes you hit a few bounces in turbulence. The key to surviving turbulence, you know, because we've seen too many Hollywood movies, where planes split apart and, you know, all sorts of rubbish, right? What you do is you just look at the steward. Because we're all thinking the plane's gone bad and they're still handing out coffee. <laughs> How many people know? That's cool, man. You know what I mean? It makes you relax. But if the sailors are starting to freak out, how many people know? Good time to freak out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I believe Paul might have turned around and said, Oh, Father in heaven, help us. You know, I reckon there might have been a few prayers going up there, man. A few shunned the You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, as he's shunned the bubbing, there's a, clack in the, a crack in the sky and an angel comes down and lands like Iron Man. Come on, just work with me, folks. Right, seriously. He goes, fear not. And Paul said, well, I'm not afraid anymore. You're here. This is awesome. And he goes, are we going to be okay? Yes, you're going to be okay. The Lord says everybody's going to be safe. Not a hair on your head's going to go missing, except for Matt Fielders. Praise God. And, uh, and he goes, oh, great. So we're all going to be cool. Yep, the whole crew, no worries at all. What about the ship? Sunk. What, while we're on it? Yeah. But we're going to be okay. Yeah, sure. No worries. Right? I mean, come on, folks. You know? And then the angel goes, then the angel goes, okay, you're good? Let's go. I'll see you. And he takes off. How many people know if I'm Paul, I'd be going, hey! <laughs> Wouldn't you want to grab his legs? Imagine the angel going, get off, man. Get off. I'm busy. How many people know he comes to reassure you, doesn't always rescue you? Oh, folks, so yeah, listen, well, that does, that's not fair. That doesn't make sense. Listen, God doesn't have to make sense to you. You we keep on trying to make common sense of God. There's nothing common about our God. Amen. Come on, folks. Bible's full of mysteries like this. Moses, I talked about him this morning, is having an encounter with a burning bush. Burning bush says, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go that they may come worship me in the desert. So Moses argues for a fair while. Finally, God wins. How many people know God always wins? And so he goes, all right, I'll go, I'll go. So he walks off. And as he's walking off, God says, oh, one more thing. And so Moses is like, what? Okay, sorry, what? He goes, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and I'm going to make him say no. Come on, you've got to read scripture, man. Imagine if you're Moses, you go, excuse me. So you want me to go and tell Pharaoh to let your people go that they may come worship in the desert? Yes. But you're going to make him say no? Yes. But you still want me to ask? Yes. Is it just me having a problem with this? Wouldn't you be going, well, what's the point? The point is, will you obey? Yeah. 
We always want God to explain himself. Does this make sense? So he comes and reassures you, but he doesn't always rescue you. Number two, not always a way out, but a way through. We keep on asking God for a way out when God wants to give you a way through. Come on, folks, let me tell you. It says this in 1 Corinthians. It says, no temptation has seized you except which is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. See, you need to understand, God won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. And he doesn't tempt you, by the way. He tests you. He won't tempt you. But even if you're getting tempted beyond what you can bear, he'll provide a way out. But he will also provide a way through. And the problem is for some of us, we keep on asking for a way out instead of a way through. It's like if you're struggling financially and someone blesses you financially, that might pay off your debt right now. But if you haven't learnt and gone through it and learnt to budget, you'll find yourself back in a hole. Does that make sense? And too many of us keep on saying, I can't handle it, get me out. So you get off of that merry-go-round and all you do is get into a bigger merry-go-round. Your life is good again, I'm so happy. Everything's, I'm free, I'm free. And then guess what? You're going to come back around. Because God wants to grow you. Some of us go through problems, so we move location. We go overseas. Let's go overseas somewhere. I need you to understand, your trouble has a passport. And it travels first class, baby. You may be sitting in coach class, but your, your trouble's sitting in business class going, yeah, I'll see you on the other side. Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen, you know, I mean, listen, we've got to understand, God wants to, God wants to teach us stuff. And some of you might have gone through a hard time, but guess what? You went through it. What did David say? Yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Number one, who says yay? <laughs> You're even trying the Christian jokes now. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't say yay, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I reckon the literal interpretation would be, ah, I'm running like a sissy girl scared of the valley of the shadow of death. Come on, why don't you ask God, what am I supposed to learn in this? How many people know the Israelites asked the right question, but they asked it with the wrong attitude? Hey, God, why are we here? Why'd you bring us to the wilderness? Why wouldn't, if they had said, hey, Lord, what are we supposed to learn here? Why are we in this wilderness? My gosh, it could have been a quicker journey. Amen? Are we okay, folks? Not always a way out, but a way through. Number three, storms will soon show you what clutters and what matters. Storms will soon show you what's cluttering your life and what matters in life. We took such a violent battering, verse 18, from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. How many people know oars are useless in a storm? You can row, you're not going anywhere. You'll soon discover in storms what's cluttering your life. Come on, folks. There's so many things that we think we can't do without in life. And then if something happens and you suddenly discover you're still alive. Come on, man. We've got smartphones these days. You know, smartphones have created dumb people. Not dumb here, dumb here. We don't even speak anymore. We don't speak. We send text and we don't even text anymore. We send emojis. That's a hug. Listen, that's not a hug. I don't feel hugged when you send me that. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't feel hugged. If I went home to my wife and said, baby, here we go, she would go, wapunga, and smack my face off. Come on, folks. We've become dumb here. Does that make sense? And then worst part is, before your smartphone was waterproof and you used to use it playing Candy Crush on the loo and you dropped it and your iPhone became an iPoo. Come on, man. 
You get onto your, your laptop and go, on Facebook, help! My iPhone's broken! Life's over. Guess what? You survive. It's amazing what you can do without. Your computer crashed. Your car broke down. You thought you couldn't get around. You still got around. Come on, folks. See, there's some stuff that's cluttering your life, and sometimes storms come to show you what's cluttering and what matters. Well, we moved over to Malaysia almost seven years ago, right? We reduced our life. We were living in Malaysia. We were living in Australia for 39 years of my life. I lived in there. I mean, that's just ridiculous, right? 39, sorry, Australia, actually 40. Sorry, oh my gosh, I'm even older than what I thought. 47 years living in Australia, all right? 47 years living in Australia. Now we've lived in Malaysia for seven years, right? And so the thing is this is, I remember we sold up everything. We got, got, sold cars, gave away a whole bunch of stuff. We reduced our life to 20 boxes. 20 boxes, five suitcases, and my Harley Davidson. Because you have to take the Harley, man. Seriously, come on. Come on, yeah, baby. Yeah. I remember looking at my wife going, is this it? Is this our life? You know what I'm saying, Steve? 20 boxes. Do you know what? There's still six unpacked boxes in our condo right now. I don't even know what the flip's in there. But apparently, I couldn't do without it. It's probably Andy from Toy Story. All those little green aliens going, the claw, we are eternally grateful. I don't even know what the flip's in there. <laughs> See, you're amazed at what it is, man. See, you need a sense. Like Hebrews says this. I preached this in the men's conference. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run the race with endurance, the race that God has set before us. Man, there's some things that are just in the way and they're cluttering up your life, man. It's like Adele. Does everyone remember Adele, a beautiful singer, man? When she became famous with a song, she sung this. She went, I heard that you settled down that you Found a girl and you're married now. Can we remember that song, right? And the chorus went, never mind, I'll find someone like you. My question is, why do you want to find another guy like him? He dumped you. <laughs> why? Shouldn't the chorus be, never mind, I'll find someone better than you. Why would you date Pete and now repeat? <laughs> we as Christians are like that. We sing songs like break every chain, but then we go, put it back together again. We submit it at the altar going, God, take it. I can't have, take it, take it. <laughs> and then when you leave, you go, I'll, I'll just take that back. Thanks so much. Come on, man. We do. We live in that perpetual thing. That's the problem with being a living sacrifice. We keep on crawling off the altar. Amen? Yeah, okay, folks. Number four, you have to feed yourself in a storm. You have to feed yourself in a storm. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you haven't been, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. I want to ask you this real question. What do you feed yourself on when you're going through your storm? Do you, do you, do you find fuel for faith? Or do you feed yourself on a bunch of negativity? You know, we go home and write on Facebook, Life sucks. 
And then everybody messages, what's the matter? Dear, what's the matter? And you never answer because you want them to worry more. <laughs> Come on, man. You start filling your mind with a whole bunch of other gossip and rubbish, cynicism and criticism. Amen? Come on, folks. Negativity, man. The only thing that, de- uh, you know, the, uh, we get in the dark room of discouragement. The only thing that develops in dark rooms is negative. That's an old saying. Do you understand what I mean by this? Like we hide away, man. We separate ourselves. What do you feed yourself on a storm? You see, you can't fight when you've got no energy. You've got to get around people. You feel discouraged, man. You've got to get around. What do you feed yourself on? It's amazing how many Christians, when they're going through a hard time, pull away from the church. Yet it's amazing how many atheists, when they're going through a hard time, come to church. Talk about learn a lesson from the atheist. They come seeking after some sort of solace and some sort of understanding, but Christians get, now they offended me. You know, does this make sense, folks? Listen, in a church, you're going to get offended because we're family, amen. Come on, folks, how many people got brothers and sisters? Raise your hands. How many people love their brothers and sisters? How many people say sometimes not? How many people know that doesn't change the fact you're brothers and sisters? It's just family. My dad used to upset me. I could go, you're not my dad. How many people know DNA proves we're dead? Does that make sense? You got it. You got it. You understand. You got to feed yourself. What do you feed yourself on? Watching sad movies. Come on, man. Sit in your room eating your little ice cream. Watching Bridget Jones' diary. Oh, by mercy. You can't fight when you've got no energy, my friend. Got to fuel yourself up, right? Number five, here we go. In a storm, stay close. In a storm, stay close. Stay in unity. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down in the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors on the bow. Paul said to the centurion, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. My friend, listen to me. It's best to come together when you're in a storm. Link up, man. You feel discouraged? Get around someone who can encourage you. Amen. I don't feel like praising. Best time to praise. Best time to praise. Come on, man. When I'm feeling discouraged, number one, I go and try and find someone I can encourage. But I get around people that I know will rub me up the wrong way and remind me that I'm better than that. Does that make sense? You've got to link up together. The Bible says in Psalm 133, where there's unity. So any place in Scripture where it says where there's unity, God commands a blessing talks about proclaiming a blessing, declares a blessing, but in Psalms it says he commands a blessing on unity. Do you understand? We've got to get this concept. We keep on disappearing. We keep on running away. One can put to flight a thousand, two, ten thousand. It's the power of unity. We use this scripture all the time as weddings, but it wasn't designed just for weddings. Ecclesiastes 4, it says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly, quickly broken. My friends, we need to make a decision to stick together. I love the fact that this church is still going strong even though you've been in a whole bunch of different venues. That's a great sign. But I wonder how many people you know right now that aren't coming. I was saying this past Sam, we were talking at lunchtime, and I said, it's so amazing how many people want revival, but they want revival as long as it's convenient. What, you want me to move there? Oh, that's a bit of a tough one. Yeah, Jesus just died on a cross for you, but yeah. 
It's true. I mean, true. You have to drive another kilometre. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, that's hard guy. I mean, he just got ripped apart for you. But, you know, that's fair enough. I mean, I wear the cross around my neck. He wore it on his back. <laughs> See, do, do you understand? There's power in unity. When someone comes against you, they come against me. We're family. We're family, man. Does that make sense? Even in Braveheart, what did he say? An attack on the king's men is the same as an attack on the king himself. That was the lousiest accent I've ever done in my life. But you know. Number six, finish with this one. Trust God. His ways are not our ways. Trust God. His ways are not our ways. I gave up trying to work out, people trying to work out how God's doing stuff. Isn't it amazing how many times we tell God to do something for us, but then we tell him how to do it. God, I really would like you to do this for me, and this is how I'd like you to do it. How many people want to go, God, no, I've got a much better plan. When Joseph was given the dream about sun, moon, and stars, he probably enrolled in astrology courses. Sheaths of weed, he went into horticulture, and God said, no, I've got a much better idea. I'm going to get you thrown into a pit. I'm going to get you falsely accused of rape. How's that sound? That's an awesome thing. Hey, praise God. Then you'll go to jail for a while. Everything will be sweet. Praise God. I told the men, you know what a pit stands for? Preacher in training. Shikaka. It's amazing how many of us want a testimony, but no one wants a test. Amen. Praise God. Trust God. His ways are not our ways. I've got a mate. His name's John Herbert. He's an absolute crazy mental case for God. He was born in South Africa, then he was raised in Perth, Australia. Married an Aussie girl and then had the final chance to go back to South Africa. You know, cut him, he bleeds South Africa. And uh, he went back over there and he was involved in a church just doing crazy stuff. And I went over to speak for them, do a whole bunch of stuff over there. And uh, he began to tell me the story, him and his wife, Debbie, tell me the story. They were at this restaurant. And, uh, you know, Cape Town is a, a beautiful area, but it's 95, 95% crime with violence. So people don't just rob you, they want to hurt you at the same time too. Does that make sense? And one time, uh, John's out on an appointment. This guy picked him up. He's out on an appointment with him. And Debbie's out with John's sister, who's just recently lost her husband. So she's taken her out, and they're just looking after her, taking care of her, right? She's going through this mourning process, and it's just been a terrible time for her. So anyway, John's out on this appointment at nighttime. Debbie's driving home with her sister-in-law. They pull up the driveway of their house in Cape Town. And when they get out the car, a robber comes out the bushes and says, give me your bag to Debbie. And Debbie goes, no. She's a tough Aussie chick, you know, no way. So the guy pulls out a gun and says, now give me your bag. And she still says, no. So I'm going, what? why? Just give him the bag. She goes, well, it wasn't my bag. It's my sister-in-law's bag. She's just lost her husband. I don't want to lose anything else. So the guy grabs all the bag and, he, and she holds onto it. And he goes, let go of the bag or I'll shoot you, right? So long story short, she's wrestling with this guy. He shoots her in the kneecap. Her kneecap explodes. But she still doesn't let go. Now she's hanging on to the bag and this guy's dragging her down the driveway, right? The sister's hiding behind a bush. She doesn't know what to do. She's panicking and screaming as loud as she can. The sound of the gunshot and the screaming draws out the neighbors. All the neighbors run out and they've all got guns, man. It's like a Western movie. They go, gunfight, gunfight. So he starts shooting at the robber who's now hiding behind John and Debbie's car, right? And so there's this flipping like gunfight at the OK Corral, man. It's like a Western movie. Long story short, the burglar gets away somehow, right? Debbie gets put into an ambulance and raced off. So they call John, who's out with another guy who picked him up to take him out for dinner. And they say, Pastor John, Pastor John, just need to let you know your wife's been shot. And then the phone goes dead. Battery died. 
How many people know he's just entered a storm? All he knows is his wife's been shot. So he's trying to call back, can't get through. He's trying to call his sister. No one's answering. No one knows what the flip's going on. So he goes to the guy, dude, can we just go in your car? We need to go to the hospital. My wife's been shot. And he goes, which hospital? He goes, I don't know. There's several hospitals, right? So he gets to the first hospital. He runs in, of course, goes, is my wife here? My name's John Herbert, my wife, Debbie Herbert. She's been shot, blah, blah, blah. They said, we haven't heard of anybody like that. So he gets in the car, races to the next hospital, still trying to get in contact with people, nothing. Gets to the next hospital, asks the same question. They said, yes, yes, your wife, Debbie Herbert, she's in, she's been shot in the knee. She's in a critical condition with her knee, but they're operating and grafting her knee right now, trying to do it. So at least it calmed him down a little bit, amen? Now, when she came out, she had a knee grafted, the whole works. She couldn't walk three months. Well, she was told she wouldn't be able to walk properly again because of the damage that was done, right? So she walked him with a walking stick, limping, that sort of stuff there. Long story short, three months later, God heals her in a meeting, supernaturally, totally healed. New, just fixed, right? Amazing, right? In the meantime, their car had been taken to a crash repairer because it was all shot up and had to get fixed back up again, right? Fix up the bullet holes, the whole deal. Now John's got his car back. It's four months later. He's driving now in his freshly fixed car down a freeway, and they've got the freeways, and they've got the overpasses, you know, so you can drive past the overpass on the side and watch the cars going like this. He's listening to this message that a preacher's preaching on a CD. This is how crazy it is, right? And the preacher says, and the devil's been trying to take you out. And as the guy says this, the railing on the top of the overpass breaks and a car comes careening in midair straight towards John. And John's just going, okay, Lord. And he just watches this car turn and smash right on top of him. And when the emergency crew come to cut the bodies out, expecting to find a dead man crushed in this car, instead they find John alive and well. And the only reason why he's alive and well is because four months ago, the car was shot up, had to go into a crash repairer. And when they reinforced the struts, they put stronger steel than the car manufacturer put in when it was originally made. How many people know our God has the final say? Now, some of you are thinking, well, does that mean God allowed Debbie to be shot? No. Did God allow the cat? No. But how many people know the Bible tells us what the devil intended for bad? God always turns around for good. Does that make sense, right? Proverbs 3, verse 4, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will make your path straight. See, what I love about our God is He always has the final say. It doesn't matter what you've been told. It doesn't matter what the doctor's report has said. It doesn't matter about that bill that's trying to own you. It doesn't matter whether your family's all split up right now. If God gave you a promise, if God said something to you, it can get as dark as it needs to get. But our God has the final say. Philippians 1 verse 6 says this, being confident of this, being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will complete it. God does not start anything without finishing it. Can I tell you, my friends, God doesn't even start anything unless He's already finished it. The Bible says that before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. Not will be, was slain. So in other words, God, after creating, went through the whole roadmap in his mind, thinking about what man's going to be like, knowing what man will be like, had a plan of redemption. Jesus went to the cross was crucified and resurrected to bring salvation. And then once he'd done that, 
He put it in reverse and he started. Come on, folks. God doesn't even start something that he has already finished. He already had the plan of redemption before the foundation of the world. Amen? Come on, folks. So if God's given you a promise, I want you to know he will complete it. He will complete it, my friends.